Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday game day edition of the NFL Roadshow. I don't get to say that very often. Lindsay Rhodes here with a very special, very smart guest from Pro Football Focus, which is my favorite resource. If you are even remotely as nerdy about football as I am, you have to subscribe to PFF. It is analytics gold, and it makes me feel much smarter than I actually am. Say hello to George Charu. Shoot! I practiced. You know what? Okay. It, it, perfect Yo, practice makes perfect. And sometimes you just got to get multiple reps in, you know? Okay. So let's we'll, we'll, we'll take do, two. Take we'll two. Try that again. Okay. George Chahuri. There you go. Was that kind improvement. of immediate improvement? It's, I'm coachable. Say your last name for me one more time. All right. Here we go. Shahuri. Shahuri. And, for, and to be completely transparent, as a child, I struggled mightily to say my own last name. That so can't be to, true. It, I, dead honest. Like I had to learn. I could probably say most words in the English language before I could say my last name. Uh, I bet you get a lot of like chururi. I get I get cues put in there. Cues. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I, I my last name sometimes gets turned into like a Shaquille O'Neal variant. <laughs> It's all over the place. So I go by, I try to go by George as much as possible, but I will tell you this, I, right after college, I did teach for America. And so when you're a teacher, you know, you don't have a lot of options. Everyone just goes with the last name. And um, I went by Mr. C, but I had a real debate between G or C. I decided to go with C. And uh, luckily I had an initial that worked because if I didn't, I don't know what I would have done. Oh my gosh. Well, here's the next thing that I'm going to struggle with is essentially uh, what your title is or what you are. Uh, okay, so you are a PFF data scientist or is it data scientist? This is one of those words. It's like caramel caramel. How do you say it? I don't know. You just put one of them in my head. I have to like say it naturally. And because I'm preparing for you, I don't know what I say naturally. Is it data or is it data? I go data. You go data. Is and there a right answer? Are you, are you saying that nicely? Like I go data because it's data, stupid. I think it sounds better to me. I think okay. I think data sounds. I don't know, but that's just per- personal preference. It's like GIF and GIF. I think, right? Which Which one do you prefer? There, I go GIF. Okay, yes, because GIF is weird. Because there's is no peanut J. butter. A hundred percent. Okay, thank you. There you go. This is starting off really, really well. <laughs> so I, uh, as I mentioned in your intro, I consume so much PFF content. I am on the website. I listen to the podcasts. You are on one of the podcasts, the PFF Forecast podcast. How did you, that's that kind of has like a little bit of a betting slant? Mm-hmm. How did you I get mean, into the betting side of things from an analytics standpoint? So much of betting, betting gets a really bad rap because of you know people connote it with Vegas and slimy with degenerates. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really, the goal of betting is to be good at predicting things. You know, that's at the heart, right? Like you're the phrase, put your money where your mouth is. And that's what betting is. Like if you think a team is going to win or win by a lot, well, do you, how much do you believe it? You know, put your money where your mouth is. And that's, that is the great thing about um, sports betting is it's really a math problem. And it's the ultimate math problem because your, your money's on the line. And so I think we attack it from a pretty, you know, non-sleazy way, if, if that's possible. I think um, slowly but surely that's happening like within, you know, different sports. I think basketball is a little further ahead maybe than football is at this point, but it'll become something just like fantasy football where people, yes. 
it's just a part of how they enjoy sports, you know, and I think it makes the game more enjoyable. You can, you can bet on games, you can bet on player props. Like there's just so many things that help you um, consume the game. I think better as a fan. It's, it's been funny. Uh, I totally agree with you. We're seeing a lot more betting content pop up uh, in normalized media Mm -hmm. outlets. Like the whole Fox bet thing I think has been very interesting in my entire broadcasting career. I know nothing about uh, betting. And it's largely because everyone is a has a partnership with a mm-hmm. different league and it's frowned upon discussing anything in betting terms because it looks like there might uh, be some sort of impropriety and they don't want to, you know, whatever. So, uh, like, literally the NFL has a rule or when I worked at NFL Network, I don't know if this has changed because everything's changing so fast in this world. But where you were not allowed, if you were an employee of the NFL, to be in a casino that had a sports book while a game was taking place. It didn't even matter if you were in the sports book. If you were in the casino that had a sports book, then that was a fireable offense. So I literally, I'm a rule follower, George. So I went to Vegas one time with friends. You can tell I'm a little, okay, we'll get back to that. Um, but I went to Vegas one time with my husband and some friends and I made them leave like every single casino. I made them go sit in a hotel that didn't have a casino in a hotel lobby to watch the games. One of those like one TV situations. So needless to say, I've not been invited back to Vegas with friends on a weekend during NFL season. I have, uh, I have been to Vegas more times than I care to share. Uh, because I went to, I went to college in LA and I lived in LA for a while. And, um, I only spent one Sunday at a sports book because you have to have a smoke, uh, threshold tolerance or whatever <laughs> so that is, you know, and if you're not around, you know, people that smoke cigarettes a whole, a lot, it's like really overwhelming. Um, so I, I have a dream that one day I'll go there and there will be a, a sports book that, um, has TVs, maybe it's outside, it's heated, there's a pool, something like that. Ooh. That would be the vibe That's I'm the looking for. the next level for. Vegas. Okay. Mm-hmm. You should probably you partner with someone. I think that you're onto an idea that has some legs. <laughs> the PFF the PFF outdoor sports book sounds there, like- Oh my, that's actually the one to do it with. Like that's what you guys should do is a casino. There you there go. We go. We're, change, the we're changing the game here. We didn't know this is going to be the conversation. You're now scaling- I'm gonna have to, I'm going to have to go pitch this to Chris now. <laughs> Slide on in that idea. Um, okay, so I'm very excited to talk to you. We have so much to talk about here in week 13, even though it's not yet week 13 <laughs> because it's still week 12. This is bizarre times. Let's go ahead and break the huddle. All right, first up, we've got a Raven Steelers game coming up today. And I say today and not tonight because it's an afternoon tilt. They moved this game to 340 Eastern on Wednesday. The last NFL game that was on a Wednesday, it was the season opener back in 2012. Giants-Cowboys moved that one. So do you remember why, George? I don't remember why. It's because President Obama's speech at the Democratic National Convention was supposed to take place on Thursday. And they didn't want to conflict with that. So they moved it to Wednesday. And before that, we haven't had a Wednesday game since 1948. This time... It was obviously pushed back for COVID purposes, though there was a primetime conflict on yes. Wednesday. How great is this, by the way? afternoon hours. Well, because we're all tuning in for the 88th lighting of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. 
I, when I heard that now I'm lucky enough, I get to work with the NBC production crew. And uh -huh. so I try, usually I get a little information early because, you know, I, a little privilege there. Mm. And Chris Collinsworth is calling the game. And I talked to Chris yesterday, you know, he's flying to Pittsburgh, you know, trying to figure everything out. And he found out from a Schefter tweet. He literally looked down no. at his phone. He was about to walk into what he thought was going to be a meeting with team, uh, one of the coaching staffs and found out that it was getting moved and still had no idea when it was going to be. And of course, had to find out, you know, eventually from his bosses that the Christmas tree lighting takes precedent. What kind of rating do you think the Christmas tree lighting does? I was trying to think about this and I just, I can't imagine tuning into it, but, <laughs> but I'm guessing it's kind of like the Macy's like Thanksgiving day parade. Like it's just something that people tune into. And I've also heard rumors. I've seen this on social media that the tree is supposed to be ugly this year. And, yes, this year. And I think that's on purpose. I think they want what? people to tune in to look at how ugly the tree is. No one wants to look at a nice Christmas tree. What? No, no, no. What? I yes. don't, I disagree. I think what it's you, the greatest. You want the aspirational of the Rockefeller Christmas tree is supposed to be the tree. You cannot they, purposefully make it a bad tree. They want ratings though. They mm. want the ratings. So I think they've got, they've leaked it out there that maybe the tree is ugly. People will tune in. Um, <laughs> Ooh, maybe my, they leaked that it's ugly. So people will tune in and then it's going to be like this bomb tree. Yeah. Uh, a makeover. Everyone loves a good, uh, you know, recovery story. Yeah, it'll be one of those like um, the metal monoliths that are popping up all over the country that people think aliens are putting out. That, that would get ratings. If if people tuned in to look at the tree and it was just a metal monolith, I could see <laughs> that doing better ratings. I would have pushed back one of the best matchups of the NFL season for that. Yeah, for a metal monolith. Okay, uh, more headlines. The Niners have settled on Arizona to be their new home in light of COVID restrictions in Santa Clara County. They're leaving today, and they are starting practice there on Thursday. We will see them host the Bills on Monday night in the Cardinals and now Niners home stadium of State Farm Field. Broncos, who lost all their quarterbacks last week because of COVID protocols, not getting any sympathy from Jerry Jones, who compared the situation... <laughs> to the one that the Cowboys dealt with when they lost Dak and Dalton and had to start Ben DiNucci because that's a totally fair comparison, right, George? That's cold-blooded. That Ben DiNucci is a nice guy from everything I've heard. He tried to sidearm throw. It endeared him with people young and old. Uh, if we're going to be kind to Mr. Hinton over there in Denver for giving it a try, I think we got to be kind to Danucci as well. That, that, that was the most cold-blooded thing I've heard Jerry say, and I feel like Jerry doesn't pull any punches. I mean, here's the thing, Jerry. Ben is somebody your organization drafted as a quarterback. <laughs> so sure. he literally, he might not be a good quarterback, but he is someone who played quarterback, period, in college, and then your organization looked at him and said, you know what? Seventh round pick, let's take him. And Kendall Hinton is a practice squad wide receiver who at one point in his former life as a college player, before he switched to wide receiver, played quarterback. The two situations. Also, Ben got reps at practice with the actual people who were playing at the yeah. position that he played. That is not what happened with Kendall Hinton. I so, think that's yeah. a really good point. And you've completely turned, turned it around on Jerry which is well done so by take you. Take that, Jerry. Yeah.
Okay. Uh, Doug Peterson's job status is a little bit more uncertain than it even was before they took the field on Monday, and it was pretty uncertain then. According to Mike Garofolo, Eagles owner Jeffrey Lurie was unhappy with their performance in primetime. Doug Peterson says that he has not been reassured one way or another about his job, and he did not rule out the possibility of his giving up play calling. By the way, and I think you will enjoy this one, George, there was at least one person who was very unhappy about one play that went well for the Eagles on Monday night, that two-point conversion at the end of the game that was effectively meaningless from a game competition standpoint Mm -hmm. meant a lot for the guy who bet $500,000 on the Seahawks to cover the spread at six and a half. That two-point conversion, of course, made it a six-point game, and that $500,000 was gone. I I have a feeling that if you're betting $500,000 on a game and you know clearly he doesn't know a ton about sports betting because he didn't get the greatest number there, like six and a half is – anyways – I, I'm guessing he has some extra change. He's probably not hurting from that. But I don't think he's okay. I, I what, think what do he's you okay. win on a five hundred thousand dollar bet if you take the points? Like, what's the? Well, in that case, he he would have won. He probably got close to even odds, minus one ten, which means that you bet a hundred dollars or one hundred ten dollars to win a hundred. So he's going to win a little less than the five hundred thousand dollars, but he'll end up doing you know obviously very well. Here's what he should have done though. And this is oh. what I. This is how I bet the game. I did what's called a teaser, which allows you to change the spread by six points in your direction if you if you combine it with another bet. So I had this, the Seahawks needing to only win by a point or more because I teased that six and a half down to one half point. So he should have listened to me is what I'm saying. So what I don't understand this because I have listened to your podcast and I've heard you talking about teasers and I don't mm-hmm. know what a teaser is. So you're saying that you just combine it with what any other any other bet do you get to decide are there specific things that you're choosing from you can pick any other one so it's like a parlay you know parlay is where you take two bets and you have to win both of them okay but in a parlay you don't get to change the odds and you know the the line at all so you'd have to take whatever the advertised line is a teaser is meant to do exactly this where you get to change the line by six points so you feel like oh man like i'm really you know, getting the best of this. So I'll give you an example. So if you had the Seahawks yesterday, you would have teased them from a six and a half point favorite down to a half point favorite. Now let's look ahead to this week, the game you just mentioned, Buffalo, San Francisco. The 49ers are a two and a half point underdog. Now I'm just going to tell you right now, I think the Niners are a pretty good team. So do I think they're going to win? Maybe. If they lose though, I don't think it's going to be a blowout. So I could tease them from a two and a half point underdog to an eight and a half point underdog because I've gotten to add six to that spread. And so oh, then so what you have I, to move the six somewhere else. I get to do it on both bets. Okay. So I pick the Seahawks. I tease them to a half point favorite. And then I pick the 49ers as well. And instead of them only being a two and a half point underdog, I get to move that six points and get it all the way to eight and a half. So now I just need the Niners. And then take the Niners mm-hmm. with the eight and a half points. Exactly. Because they're going to make it close. I like this. I feel like I learned something. I'm going to call up a bookie once I find a bookie and say, hey, I want to tease a bet. There, you you could call up a bookie. That would be a very old school way to do it. I would maybe <laughs> even recommend, you know, not in a pandemic, you could go to Vegas and mm. venture nearer a sports book. Okay. Yeah, no one can fire before. me for that now. There you go. <laughs> that, that ship has sailed. Okay. Um, 
Massive news for the Texans. They have two starters that are now out for the rest of the season. Cornerback Bradley Roby and wide receiver Will Fuller, both of which are suspended for six games for violating the NFL's PED policy. Uh, Fuller says that he took a prescribed medication that he thought was permitted. Turned out it wasn't. And so that will effectively end the season for the Team Road Soda Fantasy Squad, which sucked anyways. So rest in peace. It, it's ruining my teams that were that were winning too. I had Will Fuller in every single league uh, that I'm in, and I'm very disappointed. And I've heard many rumors about who this doctor is, and I would just tell people to go Google Brian Cushing, strength and conditioning coach for the Houston Texans. Take a look at his build. Let me know what you think. Um, but uh, that is that is what um, that is what people are saying. I don't know how, if it's true. How many fantasy squads do you have? I just have two. two. I have two leagues that I've been in for a while. I try not to like join a bunch because I can barely handle the two that I'm in. And well, I'll, with all of the bets that you have to place too and stuff, that's a lot. I actually used to be really good at fantasy football because I used to like I didn't have an before I worked at PFF. I didn't have another way to really get into it. And now that I work in football, like fantasy footballs, like, you know, it's so like outside of what I think about every single day. So I've gotten worse at it. I'm like not as rigorous with picking up players and yeah. Let me suggest this to you. I think that the analytics for whatever reason actually make it harder Really? because I have never been more into the analytics surrounding. So I do a fantasy show on Sundays. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a red zone show. It's the called the fantasy zone for direct TV. And um, so I am looking at all of the games and taking in all the analytic. I mean, again, consuming all the PFF content. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, they give up the most uh, yards per target on deep throws, you know, 20 or more yards. And this that's what this guy does. Like Nelson Aguilar last week. I was like, mm-hmm. Nelson Aguilar for sure against the Falcons. Their weakness, his strength, this is going to crush. And then, you know, random football work. stuff happened. And then you have coaches like Matt Patricia, who's no longer with the Detroit Lions, who don't take advantage of what uh, the analytics tell us or the obvious mm-hmm. mismatches. And then it drives people like me crazy. So I, I kind of feel like I'm in a position where I am totally overthinking fantasy football this year. And I want to take a week off from the analytics and say, I'm just going to go all of it. Like, here's what I think. Just when I look at the matchups, he's good, they're bad, plug them in. But I can't because I, I need to know what I'm talking about for shows like this and on Sunday. And I actually think you're hitting on a fundamental principle of being good at fantasy football, which is the following. You can't listen to everything. Yeah. Because not everything matters. You've got to learn. And, and that's what I think PFF helps people do is, you know, we tell you which things matter and which things don't. And like our, you know, fantasy projections, your goal is to use the things that are predictive and kind of throw this other stuff away. Um, but I think in fantasy, you can get really caught up in like nitpicking little things. Mm. And oftentimes, like what really matters is, is just trying to get the opportunity. You know, so like a running back that you have a confidence in is getting 20 touches. Yes. You know, like, okay, just stop the conversation there. If you get 20 touches versus 10, take the guy with 20. If you get unlucky, you get unlucky. That's what football is. Small sample game. Um, But you can't, you can't drive yourself crazy with that stuff. 
Well, it's funny you bring up running backs who get a lot of touches. Yep. Um, because, you know, you tweeted a couple of weeks ago uh, something about the Vikings that I didn't totally agree with. And I'm interested to hear your thought process here because you tweeted it in such a way that this was like a given in the mm -hmm. analytics community. And so I'm interested to hear why. Uh, you tweeted essentially that Justin Jefferson was more valuable to the Vikings than Dalvin Cook was, which I think to a lay person seems crazy because Dalvin Cook is so massive for them. What is your thought process there? Yeah, so I, I do agree with you. There's two things at play here. The average fan is probably playing fantasy football and probably not spending hours and hours trying to value NFL players for NFL players' sake, right? As if they're building a team. So Dalvin Cook is more valuable in fantasy football than, than Justin Jefferson is. But in real football, um, rushing production just simply does not win you games. If you want to predict- the average yards per attempt is so much less. I'll give you an example here. So okay. if you look at if you look at the average running play in the NFL, it gets you further away from scoring on average. Now there's certainly plays that running plays that are great and they score you a touchdown or they get you a first down and that improves your chances of scoring. But on average, the running play moves a team further away in terms of their chances of scoring than you were before the play happened. And that to me sums it up perfectly. So if you look at like, let's say, let's say first and 10 running back runs for four yards. Like some people think that's a win and it's, it's really not. That's basically just like, a, that's not a huge loss, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a win. You're not staying ahead of the sticks with a four yard run on, on first and 10 on second and long. It's even worse. Running the ball on second and long is one of the worst things you can do for your offense to help it score. Um, and passing is the opposite. The average passing play, um, not just a throw, but the average drop back to pass play uh, gets you closer to scoring. And so there's a reason why passing is more valuable. You can move the, the ball down the field more easily than you can running the ball. And if you look at what teams end up being most successful from season to season, it is the ones that pass the ball most efficiently. And um, that's just a mathematical fact. That's not my bias at all. Okay. All of that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But you need to run the ball effectively in order to open up the passing game, correct? And isn't there an argument to be made that Dalvin Cook, while he might not be the guy who is picking up the chunk yards, though in a lot of cases he is, uh, that he is wearing down the defense in such a way. And also... Maybe they're stacking the box. Maybe, you know, you're opening things up for Justin Jefferson in a way that mm -hmm. a different running back, if you throw like Gio Bernard or somebody back there, he's not going to get the kind of defensive attention that a Dalvin Cook does. So I don't know how you quantify for the types of things that an effective running back, how he can demoralize a defense and how he can then open things up for somebody like a Justin Jefferson. Is there a way to quantify that? There is. I would, I would also ask you to... Think about, you know, flipping that on its head. Um, does the passing game open up the running game? What's more demoralizing, a an eight-yard hard-fought run or a 25-yard passing play? Uh, I would argue that if you feel more demoralized by an eight-yard run than a 20-yard passing play, then you may have some other, you know, some other issues. Well, 
I've talked to a lot of guys who have played in the league yeah. who say that there is nothing more demoralizing than not being able to stop a running back just because it, it there's so much energy that's exerted mm-hmm. doing it. And then when you just can't stop it, like there's a little bit more of like, yes, you'd rather not give up 20. You'd rather not give up 20 yards on a, on a explosive mm-hmm. pla- pass play than like, you know, eight on a hard fought run. Like clearly the numbers favor uh it being worse for your defense uh from a wide receiver standpoint but just there's something like about physically standing up to somebody and not being able to stop them i think that's a different type of demoralization i agree and um so then to get to let me get to to your main point which is like how do you tease out the actual value of the running back versus the value of the running game as a whole and the the Baltimore Ravens are actually a really good example of this last year. The Baltimore Ravens were an incredible offense. They had a really dynamic running game, and they were one of the few running games that was actually improving their chances of scoring every time they ran the, ran the ball on average. And they had the best offensive line in the NFL last year. Run blocking is the biggest predictor of running success. So Dalvin Cook's amazing. I'm not trying to take anything away from Dalvin Cook. But if he doesn't have anywhere to run, if he doesn't have anywhere to run, he could be amazing. He could break three tackles and gain two yards of carry. Would that be valuable for your team? No. What you should do is throw the ball and get new offensive linemen. And that's the tricky thing with running backs is so much of their rushing production is actually predicated on the run blocking being good. And the, the other tough thing there is that once you have a lane to run through, yeah, does Dalvin Cook run through it well? Yes. Are there a lot of other running backs, for example, like Alexander Madison, who's on his team, who could do 90% of what he could? Yes. And are those guys really cheap? Yes. And so the tough thing is looking at the replaceability of the position because there are so many good running backs. Every running back that is in the NFL was the most athletic guy on his high school team and on his college team. And this guy can run through a hole if it's open. And so there are a lot of pieces in the run game that have to go right for it to do well. And that comes before even the running back touches the football. So those things all contribute to running backs just not being as valuable, not saying they're not as good or as talented or as fun to watch, but just not as valuable as parts of the passing game. What about, so, and I don't know if this actually plays out in real football, but just anybody who plays fantasy football knows that it feels like a good wide receiver is actually easier to find. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's more of them. There are people and the variance between a good wide receiver having a bad game. Like you've got a Julio Jones who's going to throw up a seven point outing, um, you know, at least a few times uh, during the season. So the ceiling is super high, but the floor is also somewhat mm-hmm. low sometimes. So I wonder if just because we were making the comparison of Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook, if he's not easily replaceable too, could you throw a T Higgins or like, you know what I mean? Just somebody else that's also good. And, and could that detract from his value argument? Yeah. I I think that the fantasy aspect really skews how people view things because touchdowns for running backs are so valuable. They're as valuable as a touchdown from a receiver. Right. And oftentimes those touchdowns come one or two yards out, right? It's not, you're, you're just following a lineman and you're scoring a touchdown that didn't actually get, you know, that's not the valuable play on that drive. It was the chunk yardage that came before it. And so fantasy doesn't value those things 
uh, accurately. But when you're looking at receivers, you're right. There are more receivers playing on each play, right? And so from a fantasy perspective, there's a lot of depth there. But from an NFL perspective, because you're playing three, sometimes four, sometimes you're the Cardinals, you know, five wide receivers on a play, having good players at all those positions matters. Whereas with running back, you only got one out there, right? And so actually the, the margin widens for wide receivers because you have so many that need to be on the field at one time. So for Justin Jefferson, he creates a ton of value. Look at who they would bring in to replace him. And the Vikings are a good example. I mean, they have two receivers and then nothing else. And I was really worried about what this offense would look like without Stefan Diggs because Stephon, Stephon Diggs is one of the best route runners in the NFL. And Justin Jefferson has come in there and he has been dynamic. He has uh, 12 receptions, 20 plus yards downfield. That's tied for the league lead with Tyreek Hill. Like the dude has been absolutely special and that offense hasn't missed a beat um, from a passing perspective. They've been really good. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really tough because people play fantasy football and they see how valuable Dalvin Cook is. Um, but when you really value every part of the offense uh, and look at it mathematically, and I'll give you a sense of where our numbers are at. Um, Justin Jefferson is about three times more valuable. Three times. Mm-hmm. I don't know that my eyeballs agree, but I know that you are know, not going to have I a know. mathematical th- equation for my eyeballs. And and that's the that's why math is valuable, right? Because if if all it did was confirm our what we see with our eyes, then why would we do it? So tell me this then, what is the answer to the running back situation? Do you, you never pay another running back? No, a no running back gets a second deal. Um, or at least, you know, like the kind of deal that they're usually looking for. If you're a Dalvin cook or a Derek Henry or an Alvin Kamara or somebody like that, or, and then does that impact, do you, do you draft running backs earlier in order to get a really good mm-hmm. running back for that rookie five-year deal? And then you just replace them or like, what's the answer? Yeah, this is, this is where it gets tough because you're now you're taking money out of people's pockets and that makes people angry. Um, but yeah, I'm never paying a, a running back uh, just from a trying to get my team the best chance to win. Like I just can't do that. And, you know, you mentioned the the value proposition between cook and Jefferson Jefferson's going to get a bigger deal. If he keeps this up, you know, if he keeps playing at this level, his, his deal will be bigger than Dalvin Cook's. And you look at top wide receiver deals, they're bigger than running back deals. So the league already understands that wide receivers are, are more valuable. Um, there are a couple things going against running backs. The first is that they're best earlier in their career. So that, you know, you look at Todd Gurley, Ezekiel Elliott, like these guys who signed these massive deals and they're really hurting their teams. I mean, you, the, the Rams couldn't even trade Todd Gurley away. Um, Zeke Elliott's contract looks ridiculous right now. Um, and he's David Johnson in Arizona. I was, I even at the time and I, I, I regret this. I was like, obviously pay him. And then now that seems so stupid. And and David Johnson was a bargain in the draft. Right. And so David Johnson's a good example. What I would do is I would draft running backs that are basically receivers, uh, late in late rounds, Uh, Antonio Gibson. Like where, where do you start? What's a late round to you in this? Uh, late third. Oh, okay. Fourth. I mean, you know, I, my, so I'll tell you this, my, I have favorite players in the league. One of my favorite players, I think he's probably tied. Number one is Alvin Kamara. I love that guy. 
I love everything about him. I love the way he plays. I love his swagger. I, Alvin Kamara, I love the, the things that he does in the, in the public and what he did this, this offseason during, you know, really uh, tricky time in our, in our country with all that was going on. Um, I, I love the guy. And so it's hard for me to say, oh, I wouldn't want to pay this guy because obviously I want to see him be successful. But he was a guy that wasn't a first round pick, wasn't a second round pick right? He was a bargain in yeah. the draft and he's, he's a tremendous player. He's great for the saints. Um, and I'm really happy that he is making you know money for himself. And that's why it's, that's why it's tough to run an NFL team. Though that's actually a good example because what are they if they don't have Alvin Kamara right now? Because the other argument that is, you know, big in the analytics community is like a dot for quarterbacks mm-hmm. and you have Drew Brees who I went and looked up Taysom's a dot last week because I'm just not on board. I know the first game was good and the second game, <laughs> the second game was like, I don't even know what to make of that because clearly yeah. the strategy is why would you do any, why would you throw the ball? Just run, 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 run against a team with no quarterback. Like you're, you're going to get the win, just run mm-hmm. it out and play it safe and don't show anything fancy. But um, so I don't know that I learned anything about Taysom in this last week. I'd be interested to see if you did. But his so his A dot um, in his first start was only higher than Drew Brees' A dot this season, mm-hmm. and so like uh, they're not throwing it downfield. The fact that you have an Alvin Kamara who's coming out of your backfield, who you can use in all of these uh, this variety of ways, who can pick up those chunk yards and. All that mm-hmm. stuff. I would argue that he's even more valuable to them this season I on would, that second contract. Are you going to, okay, you disagree? I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. And, and here's, so I, there are two things that stick out to me. First is Alvin Kamara, since Taysom Hill has come in there, and I know this because Alvin Kamara is on my fantasy teams, hasn't been great, right? Alvin Kamara is a great football player, but the fact that he has one of the three best offensive minds coaching that team in Sean Payton and one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the history of the NFL in Drew Brees means a lot for him because um, he catches so many passes at or behind the line of scrimmage or just a couple yards before or in front of the line of scrimmage, you're talking about average depth of target. Um, and those passes being consistently accurate time and time and time again from Drew Brees matter. Um, they, I believe before Drew Brees went out, they had the highest passer rating on checkdown passes of any duo in, in the NFL. And that speaks to how good Drew Brees is at knowing when to throw the check down and at throwing it well, and how good Sean Payton is at scheming opportunities to put Alvin Kamara in space. If they didn't have Alvin Kamara, they might not have as good a running back that is a pass catching back, but they'd have a guy that would do a pretty decent job in that scheme. And if you put Alvin Kamara on the jets, are you excited about his fantasy capability? No, probably not. You're probably sitting there going, man, I can't believe this Ferrari is being put in a junkyard. As we learned with Le'Veon Bell. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so then who is the value outside of Drew Brees? When Drew Brees is not on the field for the Saints, then how do they continue to win games? Where, well, where is it? Is it- this, this is a great question because they beat the Falcons. Okay, now I believe that, the, that this was a masterful Sean Payton move. Sean Payton goes, I don't know who I'm going to start yet. Everyone goes, it's, it's got to be Jameis. Jameis is a, you know, an actual quarterback. Why would they start at tight end? Like, why would they do that? Goes, he comes in on Thursday. He talks about a bagel for five minutes. It leaks that Taysom Hill is going to start. 
I can just see the Atlanta. Can't you see the Atlanta Falcons coaching staff? It's like that scene from the office where they're all freaking out at the same time. Like they had, they were so confused. Julio gets hurt. Okay. It's the Falcons. We know that story. They win that game. Then they play a team, as you mentioned, with a, a, a practice squad wide receiver at, at quarterback. Taysom Hill did not look good. So I'll be very interested to see how they look down the stretch. They play the Chiefs in a couple weeks. Yeah. Is the best strategy there? Because So I talked about this with Jonathan Jones on Monday, and I actually played devil's advocate against myself like eight different times, which I think was probably confusing for people who are listening. Um, is the best strategy there to put out Taysom and go complete ball control and keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands? Or is it try and match them point for point with Jameis Winston, who's going to give you a, the chances are way better that he's going to move the ball and put up more points, but then you might give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes a time or two on some turnovers. I So I would say before I even get to the offense, it's what the defense is going to try and do. You're not going to outscore Patrick Mahomes. The, the Tampa Bay Bucks showed you what not to do. Let's single cover Tyreek Hill, get absolutely obliterated for a half, and then try and play catch up. Good luck with that. You have to somehow keep Patrick Mahomes from having his optimal output on offense. And so from a defensive standpoint, the Broncos did a good job of this. Um, I actually thought the Bills did a pretty good job of this. Sean McDermott's a really sharp guy there in Buffalo. But I would play a ton of defensive backs, and I would say, look, run the ball. Right. Running the ball, we just had this great conversation. Running the ball is also a lot about math. How many guys do you have in the box? How many defensive backs do you have on the field? A lot of teams auto switch into running the ball when you have a light box or you have a bunch of defensive backs. And if you can force the Chiefs to say, look, you're going to have to score points by running the ball seven, eight, nine yards at a time without having a couple mistakes, without getting stuffed once or twice and having to punt you're going to limit what the Chiefs can score. And then on offense, you go, okay, what gives me the best chance to score every possession? I don't care about time of possession. I don't care about any of this. I'm going to do my best to score every time. And with Jameis Winston, you get a guy that is actually a thrower of the football, where Taysom Hill, it really hasn't been proven that he, he can do that. And I think a lot of what Jameis did in Tampa Bay was a result of the scheme that he was in. We're seeing what Bruce Arians is doing with Tom Brady right now. Um, Sean, I'm never going to second guess Sean Payton. I think Sean Payton yeah. is an absolute wizard. So I think he will do whatever gives him the best shot to put up points. But saying that you're going to kind of play ball control, I think sometimes gets mixed in with like not trying to score and you've got to score, you know? So it, passing the ball is going to be key with any offense, especially one that has, you know, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and Alvin Kamara is a great, um, receiver of the football. So yes, if they throw to him, yeah, right. If they throw to him, uh, I am shocked that Taysom Hill is, is, is the guy they chose. And I would be surprised if they don't give Jameis a shot at some point, because if you're going to beat the chiefs, I think you have a better shot with James Winston. I don't think it's particularly close. I do too. I think you might even have a better shot at beating the Falcons this week. Because the Falcons are another team that can put up points. The problem for them early in the season was on the defensive side of the ball. And for all of the people who haven't been paying attention to the Falcons and then tuned in to watch them play the Raiders this past week, I'm sure that they were (laughs) like, what are you talking about? This Falcons defense isn't bad. 
No, and and um, don't you think there's this huge? We see this with rookies all the time. We saw this with uh, Lamar Jackson last year. When something is new, you, defenses won't be adjusted to it. They can't because they haven't seen it yet. Um, teams will see more of Taysom Hill. The Falcons have already seen a little bit of Taysom Hill. The shock and awe will be gone. And you can prepare for a guy. And preparation matters in this league because coaches know what they're doing. But if you don't know what to prepare for, you you have no you know scheme to stop it. So I would be very surprised if, if – Taysom Hill and the newness of him doesn't wear off pretty quickly. All right. No Thursday night game this week. It was supposed to be Cowboys Ravens, but since the Ravens Steelers game got pushed to Wednesday, that didn't feel very practical. So they will play (laughs) next Tuesday. uh, The Cowboys Ravens will, and I'll get George's thoughts on the Ravens Steelers after this. All right. Time for our Thursday night football preview, special Wednesday edition, (laughs) but I'm bum. All right, it's the Ravens and Steelers in Pittsburgh. We've talked about this game so many times. Uh, Good grief. Last week, uh, on Monday, they just keep pushing it back. So I'm going to get a fresh perspective on it. And um, one that I think will be interesting, considering that the line is 10, Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. favored, over under 41. No Lamar Jackson or Mark Andrews or just a litany of Ravens players who are still on the COVID reserve list. The Steelers won't have James Conner, who's on the COVID list also. The Ravens practiced on Tuesday for the first time since November 20th. So they haven't had much uh, chance to get ready for this game on the field. Steelers, of course, are the only undefeated team left at 10-0. and 0. Do the Ravens have any chance to win this game under the circumstance? And I should point out, actually, this game getting pushed to Wednesday does mean that Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins will be eligible to play in it in terms of coming off the COVID list themselves. So at least they might have a running back in addition to Gus Edwards. But all of that said, chances of the Ravens winning this are what? Uh, 10%. 10%. I'm generous. I mean, wow. you know, it, it would take a, it would take a crazy situation. I mean, look, the Steelers are a very good team. The Steelers almost lost to the Cowboys. The Steelers, you know, were in a close game with the, the Jaguars. Like, that no team is perfectly invincible. And um, that, that said, the Ravens are in a real tough bind here. Like if you go, hey, RG3 is going to start one game, pick the game that you want him to start. <laughs> it's not the Steelers defense. This is the, last, this is the <laughs> last one you're choosing, right? Because the Steelers defense is super aggressive. The first matchup they had, the Ravens moved the ball really well. In fact, they averaged more yards per play than any other team has averaged against the Steelers this season, but they turned the ball over four, four times. And that's how the Steelers won that game. And so a guy that's coming in that hasn't played or practiced in a really long time without the one weapon that the Ravens have in Mark Andrews with a, an offensive line, which is totally decimated. Ronnie Stanley was our highest graded left tackle last year. Marshall Yonda is a hall of famer. Um, they are in a world of hurt. So I have no reason to believe that the Baltimore Ravens will be able to keep this close. And that's with a lot of respect for John Harbaugh. I think he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. Um, But I also believe that the Steelers are going to be a little angry about this. Do you think, um, do you take the points? Like, so the line at 10, how do you bet it? 10 is a tricky number because it's, it's, it's a key number, right? You know, seven and three, Adds up to 10. So that's a number that that's math I can do. 
there you go, right? You can, people can get a sense of why numbers matter just by doing some very basic arithmetic, right? Like a lot of games and with a field goal being kicked, three is a very key number. So if you, if a win of three points gives you a victory, that's good for you, right? If a win of seven points gives you a victory, that's good for you, right? Another key number. 10 is another one. Um, There's, let me just put it this way. I will lay off this game personally because I don't, there's so many things I don't know about these two teams. Um, if I were picking this in like a, in a pool or something like that, I think you probably go with the Steelers because there's just, how do you know anything about the Ravens? Um, but it's one of those things where when I'm, you know, when I'm looking to invest my hard earned money in something, I want to know as much as I can about what I'm going into. So um this would be one where I'd probably look at, you know, player props or something like that if I wanted to to bet on the game in some way, because um, 10 is a lot to cover. And John Harbaugh is a he's a guy that you should respect. Yeah, it feels like, too, it has the potential to just be a weird game like the Broncos Saints sure. was where the Steelers maybe even come out and just go like, uh, whatever, like we'll do enough to win. You yeah, know, do you think do you think the Steelers could be a little flat? In this one? Well, they were. The the games that you mentioned against the Cowboys and the Jaguars, I think that they're a team, and I think we've seen it a lot in the NFL this year without fans in the stands, teams that have been just a little flat in those games Mm -hmm. where you would otherwise kind of rely on something to get your juices flowing against a team that you know in your head is not as good as you. So you can do as much as you need to do to get up for playing in the game, but it's one thing to get up for playing uh, the Chiefs, you know, so are, and a very different thing to get up against a team that you know you should be able to roll out your helmet win. What about knowing that you are playing right before and leading into the Christmas tree? Oh, well, light? that changes everything, though, because <laughs> all think? of America is watching. I, I was thinking about this, too. Like, you never play a game on Wednesday at 340. <laughs> I, it would be one thing to play a game on Wednesday at 8 p.m. when it's dark out. And like, you know, like that makes it feel somewhat similar to the Thanksgiving game. What are the this, shadows on the field? I mean, this is a totally uncharted so territory here. It's going to be so weird. You're going to be like used to, I, for a lot of players, I figure on game day, you know, when you have to be at your physical peak at like 8 p.m., uh-huh. like 3 p.m. is like, you know, mid morning for you. You're having lunch at 3 p.m. Well, just the, uh, us, those of us on the, the West Coast yeah. are literally having lunch. Like, hey, 1240. I'm so, I'm Grab so jealous. Grab a sandwich and turn on the game. I'm so jealous of West Coast time. I, I can't, every Sunday I wake up and I just say a quick prayer. Please, one day, back to West Coast time, back to Pacific time. Do it. You, you should just move. Well, look, we, we talked about, we talked PFF about should the. should change their location. The PFF sportsbook poolside. You can't do that in there, Cincinnati. It's no, snowing right now. You know where you can do it, like Santa Monica. Yes, Real as estate. a former, as that a might former not be the resident, place to get in, but as a former resident of uh, Venice, California, I can attest that the weather there does work. <laughs> All right, let's do a let's do a midweek mailbag. Want to see? I think we've got some interesting questions for you. First question for you. Uh, is from Luke Burton. It says, let's say for some reason quarterbacks are disqualified from winning MVP this year. So this is just a hypothetical fun for conversation standpoint. Mm-hmm. Who's your MVP once you take the quarterbacks off the board? It would be Devontae Adams for me. 
Um, Devontae Adams has been the best wide receiver in the NFL. And he has done so with, there are a lot of wide receivers. Justin Jefferson is an example. Tyreek Hill is an example who have other options that draw some of the defense's attention. Devontae yeah. Adams. Okay. It's, it's him and it's no one else, right? Like when you play the Packers, like I got to stop Devontae Adams. I don't care. If Alan All Lazard of the hate me, for Alan Lazard and MVS. I will not stand for it, George. I like those guys, but like, you know, let's Robert be real Tunyon. And he was great for a game. Um, and he was, <laughs> he was good last week too. But Devontae Adams is the best route runner in the NFL. He is uniquely qualified to win no matter what you need. If you need three yards on third and three, he can beat you in short space. He can also go down the football field. He can make tough catches. Um, I wish he were a little more durable. You know, he's missed some time this year, but um, I'm staying true. Obviously, the most, the second most valuable position in the NFL is wide receiver, and he is the best wide receiver in the NFL this year. Okay, this one is from Zach Johnson. Um, who do you like to win the Super Bowl? <sighs> Feels like it's the Chiefs to lose, but who could make a push? Yes. Uh, I think two weeks ago, I said there were seven teams that could have win it. the Super Bowl. List them for me, por favor. I'm going to write them who, down. Who did I have? Okay, so I, well, obviously the Chiefs. We'll start uh-huh. with the Chiefs. Um, I The Steelers, I believe, have a shot. I call the Steelers overrated this past week. Got people Popular. very... Yeah, that's very cool. angry because they, people hear overrated and they think you say really bad. Yes, that's like, so true. It's it's ridiculous. Um, I, the Steelers, the reason I said that, a very quick reasoning, is that they're not in a tier with the Chiefs, in my opinion. And based on our numbers, they're not either. They're in that second tier. And I kept hearing talking heads go, well, is it the Chiefs or the Steelers? I'm like, it's the Chiefs. Steelers are in that next tier. Okay, but so what Steel- what is it that, that downgrades them from the Chiefs? What is, or the thing, I guess, that that the Chiefs have going for them that the Steelers don't have? Yeah, a guy named Patrick Mahomes. Um, okay. Patrick Mahomes is the most valuable player in the NFL. He's the best player in the NFL. And he's the most consistent player in the NFL. And that's important. When I say, when I project who's going to win the Super Bowl, they've got to be consistent. They got to, you know, they have to remain good for the rest of the year. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, while they have been very good so far this year, they have done so with things that I'm not as confident will maintain going forward. And what I mean by that is defense, which we just know mathematically is not as consistent week to week. And a large reason for that is because defense can look really good if you play teams that aren't as good. And the Steelers have had the easiest strength of schedule so far this year. So while I think their defense is very good, it's not something that I want to rely on week to week. And if I had to you know, if you said, hey, the Steelers and the Chiefs are playing, even if it's in Pittsburgh, even if there's a packed house in Pittsburgh, the Chiefs are the favorite in that game. Are you telling me that defense, in, that defense doesn't win championships? <laughs> uh, yes, that's basically what I'm saying. Offense wins championships. Great defensive performances can win you a game. Certainly. I'm not saying that isn't the case. Um, what I mean by that is that defense is hard to predict. Great defensive performances are hard to predict. And when you're trying to predict something, you want to look at things that are generally more consistent week to week. So um, I think a lot of that, honestly, is that we are better at, at, ta- at collecting data for offensive players. And we have a, a little ways to go in terms of really accurately capturing what defenses are doing. 
Um, and it's one of the things, actually, if I, if you said, hey, what are you working on at PFF right now that we have What are you working seen? on at PFF right now? Coverage is one of our biggest and, and defense overall is one of our biggest areas of focus because coverage we know to be really valuable, but we don't know a lot about what's happening in coverage. Uh, there's so many players involved, right? So many receivers, so many defensive backs. Um, there's oftentimes a player is targeted, but you want to know information about the other guys that are out there. Um, so I think that's an area where we can improve in learning more about defense. But right now you're asking me today, and I know for a fact that defense is not something that I can count on from week to week. And then big Ben Roethlisberger, who I look, he's playing well, but he is throwing almost 60% of his passes short of the sticks. Only drew Brees does that more. He's getting a lot of yards after the catch. He's throwing really quickly, um, which is great, but that's not, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not a top 10, top five guy. So give me the better quarterback. What is the time to throw? Um, what does that tell us about their offense? Cause he does get the ball out really fast. Um, I think Phillip rivers is number two in this category mm -hmm. in terms of getting the ball out fast. It tells me it, well, it tells me a couple of things. He understands how not to get hit, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? The quarterback owns their pressure rate to a certain degree, right? Getting the ball out quickly allows them to mitigate that. Um, it tells me they have good receivers. And I think this is, if you're looking for reasons why the Steelers can win the Super Bowl, this is as important as their defense being really good. They have dynamic playmakers. Deontay Johnson, in my opinion, is their best wide receiver. He's their most dynamic. Chase Claypool can go down the football field. And Juju's playing almost exclusively in the slot this year, yeah. which is his best place to play. We saw it didn't work out wide. So they have a legit trio of wide receivers that can make plays and you can't get the ball out quickly. If guys aren't open, right. You're not throwing contested 50, 50 balls to 2.2 seconds after the snap. So those guys are getting open and, and big Ben to his credit is doing a great job getting the ball out quickly, throwing short and letting those guys run after the catch. Um, but it's, it's still something that it's not Patrick. Patrick Mahomes throws the ball downfield so frequently, does it with such accuracy, has so many weapons that are proven time and time again are going to make those chunk plays. And we just haven't seen it yet from the Steelers. Maybe they're they're capable of it. You know what? It's interesting about those wide receivers is they're one of the reasons that so James Conner is one of those guys that like every single week in fantasy, at least he people keep saying, play him, play him. This is a smash spot. The mm -hmm. opposing team's giving up like the second most uh, fantasy points per game to running backs, blah, blah, blah. Every week I'm like, no, I'm not going to because he never capitalizes. Mm -hmm. But I think what I, I'm seeing about them is that even when they played the Bengals, I want to say, and they were up and it was a positive game script and most teams would turn to their running back and just say, run out the clock. And that's where you pick up all your fantasy points and yards mm -hmm. and things like that. They're still throwing. So that that's a part of their offense. They're just committed to that. Like, we're going to do that. This is what we do, period. End of story. They're, it's a great point. A lot of teams are getting better at leveraging the passing game like they would a running game. The, the 49ers are the quintessential example of this. People watch the 49ers. We did a 49ers game earlier this year on Sunday Night Football. And at halftime, Fred Gadelli, the executive producer, um, is talking into the comps. And he goes, Hey, what, what are the Niners rushing numbers? They must be crazy. And I'm like, no, nah, they're, they're not. What you're thinking about is every time Debo Samuel catches the ball two yards feels down field, like a rush. he feels like a running back. He's killing people. He's getting yards after the catch. 
that is basically a running game, but it's, it's a better running game because you're throwing the ball forward still instead of running backwards and handing it to a running back five yards behind, hoping that the offensive line all figures it out. And when you can leverage that quick passing game, it's basically with an accurate quarterback, a running game. And so the Steelers have guys that can do that. And um, I think it's a great point. If there's, if you're looking for reasons why they can win it, that's certainly one, right? They have the playmakers to make that possible. And Big Ben has proven that he can do it. I love that you brought up the Niners because I was sitting there watching the Rams Niners game this week, which as we all know, by now the Niners won. Um, And I was just thinking Kyle Shanahan is so freaking good at his job. And I, we all knew that, but it kind of like goes on off the radar, I guess, as they're losing games this year, early in the season because of all their injuries, the, the ways in which he can use people and make people who otherwise are kind of like, eh, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like their names are not marquee players aside from Kittle. I mean, Debo obviously is good, but that was even, I think, an underrated draft guy that was just Mm -hmm. perfect for the Niners and someone that's as smart as Kyle Shanahan in terms of maximizing people's ability and putting them in the right position and how versatile he is with his offense. I just, I I love watching them play, and I think he's such a good coach, and I think that they're a team that could be primed to go on a run as they get healthy as the season goes on. They, they're a team that could very well make the playoffs. I mean, I, I joked yesterday that they're going to play in Arizona and maybe steal Arizona's playoff spot while playing in Arizona. Ooh. I mean, um, is there a coaching – people talk about duos all the time and often quarterback wide receiver. Is there a better duo from a coaching perspective than Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala? Um, yeah. Richard Sherman does a podcast with Chris Collinsworth every week, and I am lucky enough to get to listen into it every week. So I was listening to them talk last night, and Richard Sherman is just going on and on about Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan and how they connect with the players and get them to want to be great. And that's a very underrated, hard-to-measure component of players, but you see it week to week when guys that you've never heard of show up and are ready to play. Because every day they come to practice, and even if they're not one through three on the depth chart from a receiver perspective or whatever it is, they know that if they get their chance, their coach believes in them. And that's why Richie James comes out and has a big game Um, and why Richard Sherman goes down and they get Jason Brett in there and he plays great. And the 49ers do a better job, I think, than just about any team of saying, here are the roles that we need. Let's go find this guy. Like Kyle Shannon goes, I need a guy that can catch the ball and get yards after the catch. Totally. And that's what they get. And this is where we ran into technical difficulties, though we didn't know it at the time. The recording of this episode stopped. We lost the last question and answer, which is kind of par for the 2020 course. So, of course, that happened. In case you're wondering, uh, Sean Bigley, we used your question about who should be at the top of the Lions head coaching search list. And George said, for many of the reasons he just mentioned, Robert Sala. He also likes Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator of the Panthers, and Eric Bieniemy as well. And just so we don't leave you hanging on those seven teams that could win the Super Bowl, since you only mentioned two of them, the Chiefs and the Steelers. The others were Seattle, New Orleans, Green Bay, and also in the mix, the Bills and the Bucks. So thank you to data scientist George Chahuri. George Chahuri? I'm going to keep practicing that. I feel much smarter than I did an hour ago, except for when I say your name. And I hope those of you listening feel smarter too. We'll be back Friday with a look at the best fantasy plays of week 13. Until then, stay safe.